This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Monday edition of the Yard. Yes, we're late today because I had a uh, elongated meeting with athletic director Zach Selman today. Zach, very generous with his time. Uh, we're going to talk about that later in the show. Had a, had a good meeting with him. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you guys this. I have had some brief interactions with him. You know, at ball games. I mean, we're on the road. Of course, you see a friendly face. He comes up and says hello. And uh, had a great time, you know, kind of getting to know him. But today was kind of a sit-down, a formal interview. I'm going to run a Q&A tomorrow at jeanspage.com. That'll be for VIP members only. So if you're not a member of Jeanspage, probably a good time to join. And uh, I think you're going to be very interested to read some of the things he has to say about his vision for Mississippi State. He's been here about 100 days now. So he's got a pretty good idea of kind of, you know, what our strengths are and maybe perhaps where we need uh, to shore some things up. I-, I was impressed. I will tell you I was impressed. Now, it's one of the things to... Um, you know, sit down and say the right things, but I sense a real sincerity in him. I think this is not a matter of uh, it's just a job or a stop in the road with him. I do believe he truly wants to make Mississippi State uh, a much better place. And uh, I don't know that I would have felt that way. I mean, it's not to say that I wasn't prepared to give him the benefit of the doubt, but to have a chance to sit down, just me and him. There was nobody else around saying, hey, Zach, don't answer this or you should answer that. And I asked him when I sat down, I said, is there anything you don't want to talk about? And he goes, absolutely not. I said, is there anything that you absolutely want to talk about uh, to make sure we kind of get it on the record? He goes, I want to talk about what you want to talk about. I can't say that's always been the case when I go and sit down with uh, an administrator, uh, you know, or a coach, something like that. There's, in some situations, there's always some things that are all out of bounds or off limits. And I just didn't get that. Uh, with Zach Selman today. I think I could have asked him anything. And to be honest with you, I did. I did. I I didn't sit there and interrogate him, you know, like it was some, uh, you know, Miami Vice scene, you know, where the sweat beads are dripping down or whatever, you know. I didn't go in there and throw things or anything. It was a very, you know, honest and very professional conversation. And as a matter of fact, we spent probably maybe a half hour talking about, uh, you know, my history, you know, how I became to be a Mississippi State man. You know, was I born into this? Did I choose this? You know, those kind of things. We, we talked at length, and uh, it was good. It really was. And uh, I didn't know what to expect. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, you get these brief interactions. You speak for a few minutes after a ball game or before a ball game when you're on the road. But to sit down and have a chance to kind of push a little bit. And um, I can tell you this, that probably one of the things that maybe you'll miss in the interview, he does kind of touch on it a little bit. But he has a statue in his office, you know, of his family, you know, the Selman brothers, you know, and uh, there's a statue in his office. And uh, you can tell that family means a lot to him. And one of the things that I thought that was very impressive is he talked about, you know, when this opportunity first came along, I mean, yeah, it was like, okay, I'm going to consider this. 
He said, but after he had a very candid and a very open conversation with Dr. Mark Keenum, he goes, it went from being I'm going to consider this to I'm going to pursue this. And so Dr. Keenum, of course, kind of sold him on the big maroon picture. And now here we are. And I think it's important to understand kind of how the cheese is made sometimes. You know, it's important to see, you know, hey, you got people out of here and you, and you see them at ball games, or you see them in press releases and things like that, and you don't always understand all the work that goes on behind the scenes to kind of keep this thing in the road. But uh, very interesting conversation. Again, you can uh, read that Q&A for the most part in its entirety at jeanspage.com tomorrow. Matter of fact, I'll get up. That's the first thing I'm going to do. I can't guarantee you what time I'm going to get up. Well, I'll get up, I'll take the dogs out, that kind of stuff. But as soon as I sit down at the computer, I'm going to start transcribing that very lengthy uh, conversation. And it'll be entitled The Conversation, Zach Selman. I like to run those kind of in the Rolling Stone format years ago before they were, you know, became a political rag. Uh, but all that said, it was good. And I think that's important for you guys to hear that. Um, I didn't in any way feel like Zach Selman was keeping me at arm's length. In, in no way that he's like, hey, well, I, don't, I can't trust this guy. Of course, obviously, he's been here 100 days, so he's probably found out kind of the lay of the land a little bit. But uh, I did not think that he was just kind of giving me coach speak. Now, of course, you know, there's some questions that I asked that uh, maybe we didn't get a direct answer to, but I still found his uh, comments to be interesting. So we'll talk about some of that a little bit later in the show, and, of course, you can read it in its entirety tomorrow jeanspage.com. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company more than a friend. I don't know how much you love them, but I can assure you this is a very faithful and a very passionate love affair on my behalf, and they love me right back. You know what you're going to get there. I'm always excited to go because when I'm craving it, nothing else will satisfy that craving like Bulldog Burger Company. I got to have those spring rolls, man. It takes a lot of work to be this beautiful. It really does. It's not just uh, you know, a lot of neglect with the hair and a, a, a incredible skin care regimen, right? It's those spring rolls. That's the fountain of youth. That's the secret for me, the spring rolls. And I've been looking a little haggard here lately. I need to swing by and get me some. And you do too. Now, maybe your friends won't tell you. I'm, I'm going to love you right now and tell you. You need some spring rolls in your life. You need to get a little bit better looking. You do. It's true. I, I only tell you that because I love you. It's true. While you're there, have a great restaurant-quality hamburger. You can have the Lauren. You can have the Bryant. I'm really partial to that Mississippi barbecue burger here as of late. Had that a couple times. And I finish it. But it's good. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sometimes you're like, ah, I'm going to push it. No, not this one. No. You're not going to leave a little bit something behind when you have that Mississippi barbecue burger. It's just too good to pass on. I had it with onion rings the other day. Maybe you want the fries. You get a substantial portion no matter which way you go with your side. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. And, of course, get that chocolate shake to go. I'm partial to the Nutella shake. Maybe try that next time. Dessert to go. That, that is a, um, that's a delicacy right there. It really is. Get the dessert to go. Even if you're getting the uh, Shipwish Donut bread pudding, get that. Maybe bring it home, throw it in the fridge, eat it for breakfast tomorrow. Or that late night snack. You, you know you. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T.
I don't want to spend a lot of time recapping a weekend. We're going to, but I'm, I'm going I'm to go do it pretty quick, okay? Because I want to get to the settlement stuff and I want to get to some other things. Um, listen, the reality of it is this, man. Is, uh, man, it sucks right now. It, it absolutely sucks. We've lost six games in a row. We're now a game above 500. We'll take on Memphis tomorrow. We'll talk about them later in the show, too. Uh, we'll see Braylon Skinner. Braylon Skinner's return uh, to Duty Noble Field. And so if you're, if you're local and you're coming to the ball game. Uh, be sure and uh, say hello to Braylon. Let him know we still love him. It just didn't work out. I'm glad he's getting a chance to play, you know, somewhere else. But the reality of it is, is that uh, we're not playing well. And that's not a hot take. Y'all see it. You don't need an insider to inform you of that. But we are not playing well. We had a chance, of course, uh, to win that game on Friday. We did. But our offense kind of departed us. I thought Kate Smith was really good. A couple big swings there. It's the difference in the ballgame. But when you go out there and you get two hits, you're not going to beat anybody. You're not going to beat Arkansas. You're not going to beat Arkansas Monticello. You're not going to beat Arkansas School for the Blind. It's not going to happen. You're not going to beat anybody with two hits. And Hagen Smith, their uh, regular Saturday guy, was moved up to Friday because uh, they didn't know if Holland was going to be able to go. He eventually ended up going on on Sunday. But um, let's get to it. Let's get to it. And uh, we'll go quick. So we open up with a leadoff walk to Diggs. Kendall Diggs is a dog, man. He is. I, I told you guys before the weekend, he's my favorite player at Arkansas, and I, I generally have a favorite player on every team uh, in the SEC. But uh, Diggs is a dude, man. That kid can really play. And so we walk him and immediately get up the home run. It's a one-two count, but it's 2 nothing already. You think, okay, here we go. But Cade really settled down after this. Gets McLaughlin the ground out to first. Slavens uh, out at first. Ground out to first and tossed to Cade there. Uh, and then Callie strikes out looking. We get to the bottom of one. We go one, two, three. Rashawn Ludbetter and Hines go one, two, three there. Uh, Smith gets a one, two, three inning of Arkansas, gets Neville to swing, Holt swinging, and then Rowan lines out to second. So pretty efficient inning there for Cade. We go one, two, three in the second. DJ strikes out, Kellum strikes out, Offord lines out to left. And then what do you know, Cade with another one, two, three inning. Fly out to left from Bolton, Dig strikes out swinging, and then uh, Borofin strikes out looking. So Cade has found it. You, you have that first inning home run, but Cade gave us a winning effort. We just didn't support him. Bottom of third, uh, Hancock grounds out to the pitcher, and then Amani gets hit by the pitch. Heifel strikes out swinging, then Marshawn walks, which pushes Larry to second. And then Colton Ledbetter comes up with a single to the right side. Uh, the run scores here. And then Hines pops up the second, but it's 2-1. You think, okay, as bad as things have gone offensively, we are within a run, and our guy's starting to deal a little bit on the mound. Top of four, McLaughlin flies out to left. Slavens fouls out to first. And then Callie finally breaks up a streak, I think of 13 straight retired, with a single to the right side. Then Neville strikes out swinging. All right, bottom of four, uh, DJ walks to open the inning, and Clark is hit by the pitch. So right, right away, Hagen Smith has given us two base runners here. We have got to find a way to get runs across here, and we don't. Uh, we try to get Slate to bunt here, and it just doesn't work out. And, of course, you, you don't want to bunt at bad pitches, but we couldn't get a bunt down here and ultimately end up getting a strikeout swinging. That is a very significant at-bat in this ballgame, period. I don't care who you are, where you're from, who you play travel team baseball with. I don't care how much money your dad makes, how much money your scholarship money is. You have to be able to get down a bunt. And that's not just a slate offered criticism. That is across college baseball. 
It's one thing I don't know that we do a good enough job with. Of course, you know, Forsyth's been able to get some bunts down for us. Marshawn, there's a handful of guys. But how many times have we had a situation come up like this where we need to play short and we can't execute? So, yeah, Slate couldn't get it down. That's on Slate. But ideally, it's really on the staff. You've got to have everybody equipped in every situation to be able to get a bunt down. You have to be. And so, if had we moved these guys along here and have runners at second and third, guess what happens here? We score a run and tie the game. But instead, and of course, the pitching sequence is different. I get it. But Hancock you know, grounds the second base here. Ground ball to the right side, gets a run home from third. It's 2-2. But instead, because we couldn't get a bunt down, now we've got a runner at third and runners, runners on the corners here. And then Larry strikes out looking. Now, of course, Amani's got to come through their force too, right? As does Luke, right? It's not just about Slate Offer. But you get two guys on that are gifted to you, absolutely gifted to you, and you don't even hit the ball out of the infield. That's losing baseball. When they're giving you gifts, you have to cash in, and we don't. We don't get a bind down. We don't, we don't get a, a base hit with Luke, and then Amani strikes out. So it's on all three of them. Don't get me wrong. I'm not piling on Slate Offer here. I just wanted to make that point. Everybody in our lineup, one through nine, in a situation like this, has to be able to get a bunt down. And we couldn't do it. All right, top of five, still a 2-1 ball game. Uh, Holt grounds out to short, Rowan flies out to right, and then we walk Bolton and we get Diggs to ground out to first unassisted. Really big out there. And so as we had that bottom of five, Cade, outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. We open up bottom of five, and guess what happens? They gift us two more. Heifel walks, Mershon walks. You got to be able to make something happen here. Well, Ross tries to do a little bit too much here. With left-hand hitter up, he goes on his own, and he's trying to make a play, right? I'm not critical of his thought process. I'm just critical of in this situation when their guy is struggling, let's not gift them an out. And I thought Ross almost made it. But with a left-handed hitter up there, you're basically giving the catcher free reign there to throw you out at third. And, uh, again, Ross just trying to make a play. You know, so the thought behind this is good. It didn't work out for us. And that's the thing, too, all of a sudden. You know, uh, and, and furthermore, David Mershon has got to read that, too, right? It's not a called play. And that's one of the reasons you kind of know that. But mershon has got to read that. Kind of got caught flat-footed there. And so I'd rather, you know, you want to run that backside, especially if it's a throw going down, because you're going to make it. They're gifting you the base. But the reality of it is we shouldn't have gone anywhere. But if we had, you know, we'd have been able to um, make some things happen. But Ledbetter singles back up the middle here. And just imagine if we'd had runners at first and second there, because that ball got through easy. They were in double play depth because Mershon was still at first. And so, you know, here you're probably scoring Heifel. I mean, the gift of hindsight is a beautiful thing. Well, then Ledbetter goes second a while pitch. Now, all of a sudden, you know, you got runners in second and third, and it's a pass ball. I mean, they're falling apart here. It's a 2-2 ball game, and then they walk Hunter Hines. We absolutely have him on the ropes right here. He has walked three in the inning. We gift him an out bag. However, it's a tie ball game. We're good to go. And then DJ and Kellum come up, and both of them strike out swinging. So here we go again. Heifel, Mershon, Ledbetter, Hines, Jordan, Clark. Six guys come to the plate. Three of them walk. One gets a single. 
and then we we can't. It, we, it just can't happen. I mean, it, it can't it can't happen. I mean, you get that many people, to, and again, three walks in an inning, and we only get the one run. But nevertheless, after five, even though we have not done anything offensively, it's a tie ball game, and our guys doing pretty well. Our top of six, Barofen strikes out looking, and then McLaughlin singles to center field. And then Brady Slavens, who has been a bulldog killer, takes the first pitch he's seen over the right field wall. Now it's 4-2. So you scratched and clawed and fought your way back into this ball game. And next thing you know, two big swings in this ball game really made the difference. Cowley follows with a single, and then Cade gets Neville to strike out swinging. We get a fly out to left center. So we get out of it, but again, it's, it's, you know, it's a 4-2 game. It's two runs. They bring in uh, Adcock in place of Hagen Smith, who had clearly lost it. We just didn't take advantage. Offered grounds out to third. Hancock lines out to right. Larry strikes out swinging. Top of seven. We bring in Cole Cheatham for Smith. And Cole's pretty good. Pretty good. Not gonna... All right, so he gets Rowland to, to uh, fly to center. Bolton grounds out the short. And then Diggs grounds out the short. Lefty, you know, there's a lot of the lefties in this lineup for Arkansas top of the order. All right, bottom of seven. They bring in Gene Wood here. Again, you know, this is a guy that's closed some games for them, but we got a chance here. Heifel strikes out looking. Then Rashawn walks. He had four walks in the ballgame. Then he's still seconds. Now, all of a sudden, you know, you got a runner in scoring position with Ledbetter and Hines up there, and we, we strike out. We strike out. Top of eight. One, two, three inning for Cole Cheatham. Gets uh, Barofen to pop up. McLaughlin grounds out to third, and Slavens flies out to right. Bottom of eight, we go one, two, three. Again, two-run ball game here, and we got um, we got four, five, six up, and uh, we go one, two, three. Jordan flies out to center. Clark flies out to left. Offer grounds out to short. Top of nine, you're thinking we just find some way to get something going here. But instead, rather than us draw closer, Arkansas gets a couple big, big insurance runs here. Cali doubles to right field. And then uh, they put the sag bun down and move him to third. And now you think anything happens here. Lo and behold, it's a wild pitch, and he scores. It's a 5-2 ball game. Holt strikes out swinging, rolling walks, bolding walks. We bring in KC to try to get us out of there. And then some people say, oh, we're going to waste Hunt. Not – come on. Come on. We need to get a one out here. All right, Diggs singles through the right side, and uh, Roland comes around to score. Now it's 6-2. So instead of being, you know, two swings away from being tied, now you need a grand slam. But Rolfin strikes out swinging. State – you know, tried to get a little something going here, but really it was them giving it to us. Hancock flies out to left. Larry grounds out uh, to short. We, we pinch hit with uh, Chance. He walks, and then Mershon walks. So now all of a sudden you think, hey, Ledbetter can get on. You bring Hines up. Tyne runs at the plate. So Tyne runs on deck here, and uh, Ledbetter strikes out looking. That can't happen. Absolutely can't happen. We have two hits in the ballgame. Both of them come from Colton Ledbetter. He also had a pair of big strikeouts in the ballgame. And, again, I hate it for Gade Smith. You know, he pitched well enough to win. He'll tell you, you know what, i got to keep those balls down. He did. He left a couple balls up and he paid for it. But he strikes out eight and his walks just two. We struck out ten as a staff and walked four. But as an offense, we struck out 13 times. They gifted us ten, ten bases, eight walks, and two hit by pitches. So it was them walking the ballpark. They have twice as many walks, and they throw in a couple of uh, hit by pitches. And then we lose by four. This game was on the offense. Cade Smith, Cole Cheatham, picked well, pitched well enough to win. They did. And we didn't, we didn't come through. Typical Friday night for us. We're just not finding a way to win ball games. And uh, offensively, it was terrible. Absolutely terrible. All right, let's get into game two. This was an abbreviated game in case you forgot. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. 
That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. You got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. Got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient. It's safe. It's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort, so no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to Tecovas dot com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This game was pretty much over before it got started. 
really was. was not going. Uh, so Dig singles to right to open, and then they, they sack bunt. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the sack bunt in the first inning, but here we go. Playing for one early, trying to get a lead. It's, it, it's better for your pitcher if you have a lead. Uh, Barofen gets a sack bunt down. McLaughlin flies out to right, and Slavens lines out to left. So we're, we, we get around the leadoff single there, and then we go one, two, three here. Well, we don't. Mershon walks again. That's his fifth walk of the weekend. And then Ledbetter grounds into a double play, and then Hines flies out to center. So they face a minimum in one. Top of second, guard just doesn't have it, man. We walk Cali, then we hit Neville with a pitch, and then Hulk grounds to third. And it's one of those things, too, you look at. We fire across the first there. I think this is correct. I'm trying to remember here. But anyway, they ground out to third, and uh, everybody moves up here. And then Rowan strikes out swinging, and then Bolton walks, and then, then the wheels fall off. Diggs singles to the left side. Barofen walks. McLaughlin singles. Slavens walks. It's 4 nothing. It's 4 nothing. It is 4 nothing. We bring in Evan Sieri, and uh, pretty good at bat here with Cali, but we get out of it with a fly out to center field. So, you know, good job by the kid there. Bottom of second, we go one, two, three. Jordan flies out. Clark grounds out. Chance strikes out looking. Top of third, Arkansas's back for more. Leadoff double for Neville. Holt then follows him with a single. Rowland is walked. It's a 5 nothing ball game. We bring in Colby Hulkin for Sierra. They get a sack bunt down, moves the runner to third. And then Diggs, craziness here. Absolute craziness. So it's a fly ball to center. And we collide here. And... Um, I don't know. It's inexcusable, man. It is. I mean, you learn you learn this in little league. You've got to call for the ball. You got to communicate as outfielders. And I had to get it. Sometimes you're trying to make a play, but you know what? It's okay to let the other guy with the glove on make the play too. So two runs score, and then we get a fly out and they line out to get out of it. But it's seven nothing. The game is over, guys. McIntyre comes in for Brady Tigert. We go one, two, three. Hancock grounds out. Alfred strikes out. Larry strikes out. Top of four. Uh, Slavens gets on a fielding error. We throw the ball away. They got a second. Uh, and this is the one-two here where it's a pop-up in into short right. And Marshawn runs over Amani Larry. And listen, I appreciate Marshawn's willingness to go make a play and his desire to help the team. But I don't need my shortstop all the way in short right field. That's why I have a second baseman. And Amani had called for it, was under it. And we run through him, gives him a, gives him a you know, Advance for the second, and Cowie flies out to center. He tag and go to third. Neville walks, and then Holt singles to the left side. The run scores, and then Rowland grounds into a double play. It's 8 nothing though. The game's over. Bottom of four, Mershon strikes out looking. One of the only times they were able to retire him to this point. Ledbetter singles to center field, and that was just our third hit in 13 innings against Arkansas pitching, and all three of them come from Colton Ledbetter. Let that sink in for a second. Three hits in 13 innings against Arkansas pitching, and all from the same player. Hind strikes out swinging, Ledbetter still second. Jordan lines out to left. Top of five, Bolton singles up the middle. Diggs flies out to right. Barofen flies out to center. Bolton takes second, and McLaughlin flies out to left. So nothing doing there in the inning for them. All right, bottom of five, we're just trying to kind of find a way to creep back into this. Really nothing doing. And Arkansas's pitching staff is not really anything special, but they held us down pretty much all weekend. Uh, Clark grounds out the first. Chance flies out to center. Hancock singles to the right side. The first Bulldog not named Colton Ledbetter. And 14 innings of play to get a base hit. 
That is inexcusable, guys. Absolutely inexcusable. I don't care who your coach is. I don't care who the hitting coach is. I don't care who your parents were. The fact we have this many empty at-bats, that's a player issue there. Right or wrong, that's a player issue. We got some veteran guys on this team. They've seen SEC pitching before. It's not good. Well, after Luke gets a single, then Alford singles, and then Larry grounds out the second. All three of those balls were hit really well. So you think all of a sudden, okay, maybe we're starting to figure some things out here. But it's 8 nothing. Top of six, Brady Slavin's homers to left. I'll be glad when he's gone. He has absolutely killed us. He has. If he has a year of eligibility left, he should transfer here and be able to hit it duty double field all the time because he always seems to find a way. Uh, Callie pops up to second, Neville strikes out swinging, then Holt flies out to right. So now it's a 9 nothing game. Bottom of six, State finally gets on the board here. Mershon grounds out the first unassisted. I will say this about Mershon, too. He, he rarely ever just has an empty at bat. Either he's running up pitch counts or he hits the ball hard somewhere. Doesn't always fall for him, but he's not afraid to get up there and work the count and take pitches. I like this kid. I think long-term he's going to be a star for us. Uh, Ledbetter flies out to left. Hines singles to left field. And then they boot it. And so he takes second there. Jordan then homers to center on the very first pitch. It's 9-2. And you start thinking, was there, is there a chance? You know, is there a chance? Clark then doubles down the line. And all of a sudden you're thinking, you know what? We're starting to make some consistent contact here. We had gone 14 innings with not much to speak of offensively. Now all of a sudden we're starting to get some pretty good swings here. The problem is there's already separation in the game. Uh, of course, you know, Clark doubles down the line, chance then grounds out the short. It's a 9-2 ball game. You're down seven with just nine outs to play with. And Arkansas is like, you know what? I think we're ready to go. Rowan flies out to right. Bolton then walks and then digs homers to right field. And what a, what a home run it was. It's 11-2. We bring in uh, TD Tower Davis in place of Holcomb. Barofen doubles to right center. McLaughlin walks. Slavin strikes out swinging. And then Callie homers to left field. Now it's 14-2. Neville strikes out swinging. And so here's the problem that we have is every pitcher we use this day gave up three or more runs. Consistent. It wasn't like anybody which is like, hey, this guy just had a bad day or this guy let us down. It was a collective failure of the entire pitching staff. Bottom of seven, State goes fairly quietly. Hancock flies out to left. Alford walks. We pinch hit downs uh, for Monty Larratt. He singles up the middle. Aaron Downs has kind of become our pinch hitter of choice. I don't know. We don't need to find a way to put him in the lineup. At least, at least I know he'll get up there and compete at the plate. Um, Rashawn lines out to third, and Ledbetter lines out to right, and that's your ball game. 14-2. Fifth 10-run rolling of Mississippi State baseball and SEC play this year. Inexcusable. I understand it's happening around the league. I know even LSU got 10-run rolled over the weekend, but the bottom line is this is Mississippi State, and I can understand it happening every once in a while. You have a bad day, but to have it happen five times in the year, that's unacceptable. All right, quickly, game three, this one went the full nine. And that's the thing I think about, too. You know, Arkansas was missing three of their regular position guys. Three of their starting nine missed the weekend, including their second leading home run hitter, Wagner. And you shudder to think what these scores would have been otherwise. What if they'd have been full strength? My goodness. When they're having to play three backups and they're still winning the series with ease, it says more about us than it does them, to be honest with you. All due respect to Arkansas. And you know I have a lot of respect for Dave Van Horn in Arkansas. I do. I think it's a matter of time before they win a national championship. 
All right, so again, Arkansas uh, digs, walks, open the inning here. Barofen strikes out looking, McLaughlin singles, and then we get Slavens to pop up and Cowley strike out swinging. So, you know, there's always a little bit up and down with Gerangelo first inning. We navigate it without giving up a run. All right, Mershon grounds out the short, one of the first quick leadoff at bats he's had this year. More times than not, he's working counts here early. Ledbetter strikes out looking, Hines pops up the second. Top of second, Lowitz really calmed down. Jones grounds out, Holt grounds out, Rowan grounds out. Bottom of second, uh, State, DJ grounds out. Clark singles to left field. Clark had a pretty good day on uh, Sunday. Larry reaches on a fielder's choice. They force Kellum at second. Uh, Larry's still second. They've had him picked off and just couldn't make a tag. Then Hancock strikes out swinging on three pitches. Top third, Durangelo gets a fly out to left. We'll get a strikeout and think, okay, here we go. And then we hit Barofen who's still second, and McLaughlin singles, drives him around. It's one nothing, And then Slavin's homers to right field. I'm about ready to put a GoFundMe together to make sure that he gets all his graduation fees paid. Uh, Cowley grounds out the second. So here we go. Again, the inning started off well enough. It's a two, and we get too quick, and what do you know? We, it's a hit, and then it's a hit by pitch, and then a single, and then a home run, and now it's 3 nothing. All right, bottom of third. Game wasn't over yet. Chester grounds out to third. Heifel strikes out looking. So, a little two-out rally here. And, again, it's Mershon in the middle of things. Lengthy at bat, gets the walk. I believe that's his sixth or seventh walk on the weekend. I'll take that every day because it's given Colton a chance to hit against a pitcher in a stretch. We still second. Uh, and then Mershon is advanced to third on a balk. Ledbetter walks. And then they balk again. He, and he wasn't even coming set. It wasn't even close. And I can understand it happening once in an inning. It happened twice. It was absolutely not close. So the run scores is 3-1. And, again, they're kind of gifting us this, right? Right? Because it's walks. Uh, Hines then homers to right center. So here we are finally making them pay a little bit for giving us base runners. 22nd home run of the year. Ties with Tommy Raffo for sixth all time. The next home run will be 23, which will tie him for fifth with Brent Rooker. And just ahead of that, Will Clark, Rafael Palmero, Bruce Castoria. All right, and Jordan flies out to right. But now it's a tie ball game. It's like, hey, all right, we're back in it. We're back in it. Lois, calm down a little bit. We'll be good. And then things kind of fell apart here. Uh, Jones strikes out swinging, hold his hit by the pitch. We walk Roland. And then Bolton reaches on a fielder's choice at third base. And this is a situation here where we, we probably had the chance to turn two. We step on the bag at third. How many times this year have we seen that? Or maybe Slater, Nate, they go, you know, the ground ball to them. We don't go immediately to the bag and throw across. We try to do it here. We're a little bit far there. I think I'm going to go 5-4-3 there. But I'm sure that's kind of been ingrained in them. Hey, let's take the easy out here and then try to turn two. If you turn two here, you're out of the inning. Well, we don't. And so then we bring in Cheatham, and he just didn't get it done. Really good the day before, just didn't get it done. Uh, wild pitch, Niners runners second, third. We walk digs on four, and our bases are loaded. And we go back-to-back breaking balls here and make him, you know, make him buckle his knees a little bit. And for some reason, we go back to the well a third time in the strike zone. I don't know why we don't bury it here or elevate a fastball or give him a different look. But we basically threw the same pitch three consecutive times, and SEC hitters just not going to put up with that. He rips it down the line, and uh, they've got it listed as down the left field line. It was actually the right field line. 
And uh, three runs score, it's now 6-3. But every, every base runner that they had, we gifted them. A hit by pitch, and two, a hit by pitch, a walk, and then we probably misplayed the double play here, and then it's another walk, right? Wild pitch, everything. Everything went wrong in this inning, and it was all self-inflicted, and then they made us pay. We thought we had to run up thrown out at home. They review it, so we didn't. McLaughlin walks, and then Slavin strikes out swinging. And that's Nate Dom coming in to, to, to get Brady Slavin's. But it's 6-3, and again, you scratch and claw and fight your way all the way back, and then you give it right back to him. You needed a clean inning there in a major way. We weren't able to do it. All right, bottom of four, Clark singles up the middle. Larry then, Fielder's choice, they again force Kellum at second. Larry takes seconds. Now we've got a runner in scoring position. Hancock pops up to the first baseman. And then Nate Chester doubles to left center. Nice swing there for Nate. Larry comes around to score. It's a 6-4 ball game. Heifel then walks. And they like to bring in Adcock, pitching for a second time on the weekend. Rashawn then grounds out to short. But we're within two. Within two. And you think, okay, we're just shipping away here. We need a clean inning. We couldn't get one. This was about as dirty as it can be, guys. Almost as dirty as it can be. Top of five. Uh, we get Cowie to strike out looking. Then we hit Jones. And he got plunked in the head. This was the one. It was terrible. He just got away from Nate. Holt then reaches on a fielding error by the shortstop. And uh, this is a chance for us to turn two right here, right? Ground ball, you know, the runner goes. And uh, it's a tough play, okay? But if Mershon's able to field that and at least get one, it's a different inning. But if you turn two, the inning's over. And, of course, he's breaking to the bag to cover, and the ball just kind of meets him there. It was a tough play. It was. I'm not going to be critical of the kid. But if you make that play there, we're out of the inning down two. But instead, they're still swinging. Rowan strikes out swinging. Then we walk Bolton to load the bases. And then Kendall Diggs gets us. And it seemed like we talked about this in postgame. You had to make seven, eight, nine pay because there's not a lot of length in this lineup. But we had a really tough time getting those guys out. Give them credit. And the next thing you know, Kendall Diggs is coming up. It seemed like every time with a runner on base. And sure enough, he hits a grand slam here. Now it's a 10-4 ball game. Casey comes in for Nate. And, hey, Nate, a little bit rusty maybe, but Nate's healthy. Okay, and that's the main thing. Uh, Barofa and then homers to center field on a second pitch from Hunt. It's 11-4. McLaughlin walks. Slavens doubles to left. McLaughlin has to stop at third. And we get Cowley to fly out to center. The game is over. It's just a matter of what the final score is going to be. Bottom of five, we got one, two, three. Ledbetter fouls out. Hines grounds out. Jordan grounds out. Top of six, get a one, two, three inning here from KC. Neville strikes out, Holt grounds out, Rolling grounds out. Bottom of six, Kellum Clark again. You know, on a, on a, a tough day for us. Kellum was a, a bright spot. Kelly, Kellum singles to center. And then Imani Larry, who nearly hit two home runs in his two earlier at-bats, just missed. One of them he kind of yanked. But another one was probably fouled by five or six feet down the left field line. This one, no chance. Absolute park job here. Now it's 11 to 6. They walk Hancock and they bring in Zach Morris in place of Adcock. Chester reaches on a fielder's choice and then high full grounds in a double play. So we're down five and you think there's still some time. We just got to hold the game in place. One, two, three inning here from Hunt as Bolton grounds out to the pitcher, digs singles to left. Uh, then Barofen grounds into a double play. Really nice play here, shortstop to first. Kind of holding the game where it is. Bottom of seven, we got to make up some ground here. You got top of the order up. We don't do anything. We go one, two, three. Mershon grounds out. Ledbetter grounds out. Hines strikes out swinging. Top of eight, McLaughlin singles to left to open up. And then Slavin strikes out swinging. It's the old um, strike him out, throw him out play. Nice play here from Ross. And then Cowley lines out to right. So, again, 
quick inning here. We got six outs to work with. We got to make up five runs. Bottom of eight, Jordan grounds out to the pitcher. Clark strikes out swinging. Larry is in hit by the pitch. I don't know what's happening with Amani, but it seems like he's getting hit with greater regularity. Hancock then reaches on an air by the shortstop, and who was outstanding all weekend. And uh, this is really the only thing they gave us defensively, really all weekend to speak of. Um, ground ball should have been out of the inning. Instead, Larry goes to third runners at the corners, and uh, we pinch hit with Aaron Downs, again, who's become our pinch hitter of choice. And uh, they walk to load the bases. We pinch hit in place of high fill with Connor Hyzak. And I thought to myself at the moment, I said, hey, who's the one guy that can maybe park one right here or probably get one in a gap right there that uh, maybe he's not in a scouting report? And it was Connor Hyzak. So I agree with the call here. And he absolutely murdered one. He just didn't get enough under it. It's a line shot right to the left fielder. Ten more push-ups, it's a grand slam. And that was really kind of the last gas for the Bulldog offense. Top of nine. We bring in Nixon to get some work here. A lot of changes defensively for State. But he gets Neville to strike out swinging, Holt to ground out the short. And then Rowland fouls out the third. So we go to the ninth there and uh, stay quietly in the ninth, despite the fact top of the order is up. Mershon grounds out the second. Ledbetter grounds out the second. Hines grounds out the second. Nice little theme there. Everybody's rolling over to second. All those left-handers. So 11-6, to six, that's your ball game. And uh, we'll talk a little more about kind of around the league a little bit later. But uh, it was a terrible weekend. And uh, I'll be honest with you, we've had some difficult losses. Uh, you know, last year, the way Tennessee beat us in a Thursday night game, that's probably the worst I've ever felt at the ballpark in my life, ever, against anybody. The Vandy loss this year, when they embarrassed us in the same variety, you know, they just ambushed our pitching, right? We didn't throw strikes. They would take the walk, and we did throw strikes. They just hit over the fence. We got, we got exposed that weekend. Um, but this Arkansas series, the way we played it defensively and the lack of effort at times, to me, that's more embarrassing than having somebody beat you by 25 runs. It's one thing if somebody's just on, but when you get beat, you know, basically because you're apathetic, and that's how it looked. And I love these kids to death, but we quit on Saturday. I think you all see that. We didn't play. We had five fly balls drop. We're running into each other. It wasn't good. It, it, and that's the thing, too. I, I have so much respect for the M over S, and the standards of this baseball program are not being met. And, and, that, and again, people say, well, that, that all starts with coaching. And it absolutely does. It absolutely does. But I'm going to be honest with you about this, too, right? And Because the, the blame ultimately lies with Chris Simonis. That said, if you are a player that needs your coach to remind you to call for the baseball or needs your coach to understand how to read a double steal or your coach to explain the basic tenets of baseball, you ain't got no business here. Because that's not the kind of players we recruit. We didn't go recruit a bunch of robots. We went out and thought we were recruiting the nation's best players or some of the nation's best players. So they shouldn't have to be reminded. That's not on coaching. That's on the players. It's a shared responsibility. But it doesn't matter who your coach is, and it doesn't matter where you came from. Everybody knows you got to call the dadgum baseball. You don't go out there and collide, and especially when it happens once. There's no reason it should happen twice. SEC players don't let that happen. All right, time for today's top ten list. As always, brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair Chandler is my friend, your friend, a friend to those in need. Listen, if you're going to entrust something as important as your mortgage, 
You need to do it with a professional. Somebody's been around, somebody's going to take care of you, somebody that knows the ropes. That's Blair Chandler, 22 years of experience, back to back to back. Top 1% close ratio in the country. This is a guy that will get you from the dream to the reality of the closing table with efficiency and professionalism. Give them a call today at 601-500-2344. Again, at 601-500-2344. And here's the deal. He works for Fairway Mortgage, a very reputable lender, not some fly-by-night subprime lender. You're not going to be signing your life away to somebody that's going to be you know, maximizing your, maybe perhaps your frustration and maybe perhaps your desperation. This is a first-class outfit, recently voted number one in customer satisfaction when it comes to mortgage loan origination. Mention to Blair you heard about him on the barnyard. He's going to pay for your appraisal. It's about a $500 value. A lot of fees associated with getting a mortgage approved when you can cut some corners, have somebody pick up tab. It's always great. And that's Blair Chandler, a true bulldog. Got a place in Starkville, a season ticket holder in multiple sports. Be sure and close with Blair. All right. In light of the uh, recent coronation in jolly old England across the pond there, I am not a big proponent of the royal family. I don't really care, right? Many of you do. I remember being a kid, my mom waking me up unnecessarily to go watch the uh, wedding between uh, now King Charles and Lady Diana. I was not the least bit enthused by that, but I I was woken up from summer slumber to go watch that. Many of you were too. Uh, I have no allegiance to the royal family. I am more of a Sex Pistols fan than I am a royal family fan. Uh, I think the whole thing is a bit hokey. But nevertheless, because that is in the news, Roy decided, hey, let's do a top 10 in honor of the royal family. Now, there are the Sex Pistols didn't make the list, even though God Save the Queen. I guess now we can do a new rendition of God Save the King. Also, we didn't have... Uh, Royals from Lourdes on here. Probably could have, but we didn't. So it's our Kings and Queens top 10. No Aerosmith either. That's a good track, though. We'll throw an honorable mention in their direction. They recently announced their farewell tour with Black Crow's opening. That'll be a great night of live music. If you get a chance to go out and be a part of that, you should. So here we go. Top 10 Kings and Queens. Number 10, Kings of Leon, You Somebody. It's really the only thing. I guess the song Sex on Fire is pretty good, too. But... Use Somebody is a great track. I think it's actually a cover, but you know what? I'm not going to do the research. We're just going to go with it today. Number nine, Queens of the Stone Age. Number nine, and we're going to go with No One Knows. This is kind of a different band. And I'll be honest with you, the singer here sounds a little bit like Chris Cornell. He does. All right, number eight, a band, if you're an Octane listener, you heard about this band about 10 years ago. They have released some subsequent albums. Uh, when they first hit the scene, people were like, hey, these guys got some staying power. They've done okay. Maybe haven't lived up to the expectations. It's the band King. It's K-Y-N-G, King. And we're going to go with Falling Down. Great track from them. Big vocalist, too. All right, number seven is Queensryche. They had to make the list. I probably could have justified moving them up a couple spots, but we're going to be happy right here at number seven. Queensryche, I told you guys, Operation Mindcrime, one of my favorite albums of all time. When I listen to that album, I listen in its entirety. However, we're going to pick a track off of the Empire album, which is phenomenal, a great follow-up. You know, Operation Mindcrime made uh, Queensryche a headliner, and I think Empire solidified their place in rock music. 
And Queen's Rock wasn't a hair band. They had long hair, but they weren't really a hair band. They were more of a serious band. I wrote about more serious topics. We're going to go with the great track, Jet City Woman. Jet City Woman off the Empire album for Queensryche. Number six, a band that uh, has ties to Mississippi. Also, unbeknownst to many, it's a band of believers. At their core, they're a Christian rock band. Even they're not labeled as such. But we're going to go with King's X. That's right, King's X recently released an album uh, a few months back. Phenomenal album. We're going all the way back to Gretchen Ghost in Nebraska, which is my favorite album from King's X. And we're going with Over My Head. Absolutely love this one. Love the guitar tone on it. The vocal's amazing. Number five, we couldn't have a list of kings and queens with not Her Majesty, the Queen. Freddie Mercury and the boys. Love Queen. You guys know I'm one of my favorite bands of all time. Very happy that my kids also love Queen. And again, I think the way Freddie Mercury was treated by the press in the final days and weeks of his life was shameful. Freddie Mercury uh, lived a life sometimes of vicarious pleasure, and he caught up with him. But he deserved to have more dignity and respect than he was offered in his final days. And that is something that, uh, to me, is, uh, you know, it's very disrespectful even all these years later. It really is. People are like, oh, does Freddie have AIDS? Does Freddie have AIDS? Turns out he did have AIDS. And you know what else? It was nobody's business then. It's nobody's business now. We're going to go with Killer Queen because she's a killer. Number four, going to change it up a little bit here. We're going to go with the king of pop, Michael Jackson. And Michael's, you know, Michael maybe not as beloved today as he once was because, you know, some things that he did. And, uh, you know, it kind of tainted a legacy. It did. But Michael Jackson, an ultra-talented man, ruled the world for a while. I mean, I read an article recently, I'd forgotten about this, that uh, years ago when the Jacksons were touring, you had to, like, send 120 bucks in to register for a ticket lottery. And even if you didn't get tickets, they kept you 120 bucks. That's rough. You'd think the Taylor Swift thing was tough. <laughs> we're going to go with Billie Jean. That was one of the first major hits, of course, for uh, Michael Jackson. Of course, the Off the Wall album preceded Thriller, but uh, Billie Jean really made Michael Jackson a superstar. Also covered by the ultra-talented Chris Cornell. Uh, number three, it's Prince. He's not a king, not a queen, but he's part of the royal family. Uh, when he died, it deeply impacted so many of us. Very unexpected. Uh, Prince, one of the guys, too, that really stood up to record companies, you know, about owning his own masters and things of that nature. He was tired of being a puppet and uh, really went after the record companies. He even at one time recorded an album at Paisley Park Studios and released it for free on his own website. You go download it for free on his website. The first to really do that is like, I'm going to control my music and I'm not going to let anybody make money off me. I'm going to give this gift to my fans, and it's one of the reasons that he's three on my list. I think that uh, I don't think Prince was maybe in it for the money like some other people were. But When Doves Cry is going to be your number three track off of the great album Purple Rain, the motion picture soundtrack to one of the best musical movies of my lifetime. Number two, we would be remiss if we did not mention 
the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin. Now, she did have a few cover songs that uh, a lot of people mistake for originals, but Chain of Fools was one that she didn't write, but she recorded, and nobody has done it better. A lot of people have covered that song. A lot of people have made some money, but nobody did it better than Aretha Franklin. God rest her soul. Number one, being from Mississippi and being a guy that uh, loves rock and roll music, we got to go with the king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley, number one. Even though we caught him wearing an old Miss uh, sweatshirt one day, right, in a picture, and that gets rubbed in our face all the time. But uh, Elvis, of course, from humble beginnings, really more of a Mississippi State guy than an old Miss guy. But we're going to go with Jailhouse Rock. He didn't write it, but it was the uh, title of a soundtrack of a movie he was a part of. And uh, Jailhouse Rock, a great video, was part of that movie, of course. It uh, made the rounds out there. I don't know. This was the super cool version of Elvis, right? The handsome version of Elvis, you know, the way we'd like to remember Elvis. But Jailhouse Rock, number one on your list of kings and queens today. So that's our answer to King Charles. And uh, if the British ever want it again, feel free to come and get it. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out and let us know. The best way to find us is on social media. I'm on all forms of social media, at Scout Steve R. Roy is at Dogmatic67. He kind of keeps up with everything. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. I'll be honest with you, it's probably better to go directly to him because I'll forget. I'm just being honest with you. Uh, Roy does a very diligent job kind of keeping all this together for us. And uh, I appreciate that very much so. Roy is a great friend. And uh, I like it. We have a chance to get together when he comes to town. Doesn't always work out because, you know, game day is a work day for me. But I uh, always enjoy having a chance to visit with Roy. We, when Dan and I were out in Frisco, we uh, went and watched the MMA fights with uh, Roy and his children, which is always great. And uh, so nevertheless, if you're uh, looking to keep up with our great top ten list, and there's so many people have said, Steve, I'm so glad these are on Spotify because when I'm looking for something to listen to, I go listen to this, and sometimes I get turned on to an old favorite that I've forgotten or a new band that perhaps I'm unaware of. So that's what we're here to do is provide you with a service. A top 10 list brought to you by Spotify at Dogmatic67. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart, a Starkvillian institution. I love Campus Bookmart. You will too. You should already if you don't. Campus Bookmart, doing a great job for a long time for a great fan base. Get in there and see their smiling faces. A lovely, talented Susie, Miss Pam Manyard, Kathy Brown, the whole crew will treat you like family because in their minds you are family. Simple as that. It's wonderful. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75, absolutely incomplete. Football season's going to be here before you know it. Go ahead and start thinking about outfitting the family, Mom. It's going to be hot. Kids are growing. They're not going to be able to wear their game day gear from last year. Be thinking about that. And listen, September football is probably not the time to wear a football jersey. Even though the kids want to, get them some T-shirts. Go ahead and be thinking about that. Buy yourself something. A lot of cute things there. I have bought a lot of things for my wife, and I, I'll be honest with you, too. I am probably the best gift buyer any of you have ever known in your lives. Honest to goodness. And um, while my wife does pick out most of her clothes, I think her favorite clothes are the things that I've bought her. 
And so I bought her a lot of things at Campus Book Mart. Of course, I can't go wrong with her because, you know, some girls love baseball diamonds, right, more than regular diamonds, even though she has both. But I bought her a lot of jerseys and Mississippi State wear there at Campus Book Mart. And you can do the same thing, guys, for your wife. A lot of cute things there. I love Campus Book Mart. You will, too. And again, be sure and check them out. Next time you're in town, again, visit them on the World Wide Web at CampusBookMart.net. All right, let's take a look around the league. We're only going to be doing college baseball here for a couple more weeks, I'm afraid, unless we have a coaching change. And uh, not totally convinced we don't. You know, that's the thing, too. It's like you, you start hearing things. Last week I was told there's no plans to make a coaching change. I don't know that I, I don't have the, the vibe that there might be a possibility. Just saying. I don't think that's going to be the case, but I can't totally rule it out. All right, let's look back at the weekend that was. All right, let's see here. Let's see here. Let's back up a little bit here. All right, we, we talked about our Thursday games on the Friday show. And so Friday, Georgia and Tennessee get together. Tennessee wins 12-3. to And then you look up and you're like, well, man, look, you know, Tennessee is just still rolling here. They're just rolling right through. And then Georgia gets game two. And then you get into Sunday and think, surely Tennessee will get it done. No, no, no. Georgia takes two of three at home against Tennessee. So the Volunteers kind of cooled off a little bit over the weekend by Georgia pitching. South Carolina goes into Lexington and gets swept. Nothing fluky about it either. South Carolina wins a Friday game 7-3. to three. Turn around on Saturday and beat them 14-7. to seven. And you think, ah, oh, well, Steve, you know, they just had a bad day. Well, they had a bad day on Sunday, too, because they get them 9-2. Would Zach Lee have 13 strikeouts? So, Kentucky validating my confidence in them with the sweep. I'm getting a free lunch out of this deal with a former Diamond Dog player, and I hate to say a former one. Same old Kentucky, right? Yeah, well... And I agree that they're, they're really good in their own ballpark. They like playing in their ballpark. But now they're 14-10 with two weekends left. They're in the tournament. They win the next two weekends, which I don't expect them to. They do. They're probably hosting. They go 18-12. and 12, They're absolutely hosting. They split. They go 17-13. and 13, They still may be hosting. I just don't think it's going to happen, though. I think they end up probably around 16 wins. 16-14 and has got you in. That's really, that's really, really good. They're in now. But, uh, hey, good for Nick. Matter of fact, I texted with Nick yesterday. Really happy for him. All right, Missouri gets all over Ole Miss. Uh, they win the Thursday game. They come back and win the Friday game, 13-3, 10-run rolling Ole Miss. And, man, there were so many home runs hit this weekend. I don't want to play Missouri in February when it's cold or in May when it's windy. I don't want it. And then Ole Miss rallies back, and uh, Lane Kiffin and the guys get a 20-14 win up at Columbia on Sunday. So Ole Miss salvages the game on the weekend. Uh in a series that I really thought they would win. I thought Ole Miss would win. They didn't. And uh, these games were – they set pitching standards back 20 years for sure. All right, Florida and Texas A&M, you know, first game 6-5 winners for Florida. You think, hey, you know, hey, competitive game there from the Aggies, obviously. Florida pitching kind of gets it done for them. Uh, you turn around on Saturday and Florida pitching took the day off. Is A&M wins 15-2. It doesn't just happen to us. It's happening to everybody. And that's probably a good article we can write at the end of the year, is how many teams in the league got 10-run ruled this year. You know, they put the rule in, and then what do you know, 
A&M takes two out of three. They win a pitcher's duel on Sunday, three to two. So A&M takes the series from the number former number four uh, Florida Gators. And, of course, A&M will be your uh, final opponent of the regular season for your Mississippi State Bulldogs. All right, LSU, 3-0 winners on Friday over Auburn. And you think, hey, you know, it's not bad. Uh, you, you know, Skeens is a machine. He had a big ball game and uh, felt like that he had the uh, full comp of his four-pitch mix there. Auburn still had seven hits in the ball game, just could not push anything across. You think, okay, well, this will just go to script. Wrong. Not at all. It did not go to script at all. Is Auburn – Takes an 8-6 win over LSU on Saturday, and the Tigers of Baton Rouge actually hit out hit the Tigers on the Plains 12-7. But uh, Auburn comes from behind there to win the ball game. So it's a rubber game, and you think, okay, okay, all right, everything's fine. No, 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 things are not fine. They're not fine. As Auburn 10-run rules LSU and Baton Rouge. Did you did you see that coming? I didn't. LSU pitching falls apart. They have three errors in the ball game. Auburn, 12 runs on eight hits. So, huge win for uh, Butch Thompson and the Tigers. They go and take two out of three from South Carolina last weekend and then take two out of three on the road this weekend. Pretty crazy stuff there. Absolute crazy weekend. And that's, that's why they play the games, right? I mean, it is. And then here's the thing, too. There's so many people like, you know, Steve, I've just checked out. Guys, I just love college baseball so much. You, you know, even, even when we're not playing well, I still enjoy I still enjoy college baseball. I don't enjoy it as much, but I still enjoy the college game, much so more than the pro game. I know many of you are pro baseball fans. I, I got off that train after the last strike. All right, uh, no games tonight. Tuesday night, of course, uh, North Florida will be at South Carolina. Vanderbilt's at Louisville. That could be an interesting midweek game. Austin P is at Tennessee. That'll be a 10-run ruling. Tennessee Tech is at Kentucky. Troy is at Alabama. That could be an interesting ball game there. You know, Troy got a former Bulldog out there, you know, one of the top homer hitters in the country. Sure would be nice if we had him. Memphis, of course, is at Mississippi State. First pitch scheduled for 6 p.m. at Duty Noble. That'll be an SEC Network Plus broadcast. Auburn is at Samford. Texas Rio Grande is at A&M. And the Northwestern State is at LSU. Now, Quick look at the standings, and it's not pretty. It's not. Of course, you know, we're just kind of looking up at everybody else thinking, hey, this is really cool. Uh, Mississippi State and Ole Miss tied for dead last in the SEC, and, of course, State holds a tiebreaker for now. We'll hold the tiebreaker at the end of the year. We just got to hope there's a tie. But the reality of it is is that the best we can hope for, obviously, is to make it to Hoover. And so in order to do that, we have to finish no worse than a tie with Ole Miss and then – a game ahead of Missouri. I don't know what the tiebreaker would be between State and Missouri. I haven't, I haven't I'm not going to put forth the effort into that at this point. But uh, we're out right now. Both Mississippi schools are out of the tournament, and Missouri is in as a 12 seed. So Vanderbilt, 17 and seven, leads the East. Florida, 15 and nine, of course, after dropping a series to A&M. South Carolina, it was all within their reach, and now they're 14 and nine, and. Uh, not going to be able to catch Vanderbilt. I, I just, I, I just, I don't see it. I, I just don't see it. Kentucky now fourteen and ten, and uh, because of the uh, South Carolina LSU Sunday game getting rained out, their percentage points ahead of Kentucky, even though that Kentucky swept them and they're even in the win column. Tennessee now twelve and twelve. Georgia ten and fourteen, and that was the thing. You're thinking, hey, we got to, we got to hold off Ole Miss and Missouri and got to try to catch Georgia. We're not going to. 
and in Missouri, of course, 7 and 17. In the West, Arkansas now, thanks to uh, Auburn taking care of LSU, Arkansas now uh, leads the West again, 17 and 7. They're a, uh, even in the loss column, but a game up in the win column. And so Arkansas with a 708 conference winning percentage, really in good shape now. Alabama 11 and 13 after taking two out of three from Vanderbilt. We didn't talk about that series. You know, Vanderbilt kind of gets even with them a little bit there, but Alabama finds a way to get it done. And, uh, you know, they win the, the Thursday game. They lost on Friday and came back and won on Saturday. But, uh, of course, Auburn takes two out of three from LSU and A&M two out of three from Florida, and Ole Miss loses two out of three to Missouri. So uh, we're not in it. And at this point, neither is Ole Miss. And uh, I find no comfort in that whatsoever. It's like, well, we're bad. At least you're not there. I don't care. I absolutely don't care. And it would be worse if they were having a big year. Uh, I'm not one of these misery loves company people. It's just not me. Maybe you see things a little bit differently. But, uh, you know, again, it's like, Steve, why do we even care just making Hoover? That's never our goal. That should always be a given for us. But we're going to still run down the exercise here. So Georgia will visit Missouri this weekend, which is interesting. And then Missouri will go to Auburn. And so I feel like, you know, hey, Missouri may get a game at home. The way Georgia's playing, who knows? But the way the wind blows out there, I mean, you leave some balls up, they're going to hurt you. But I would suggest that Missouri is probably going to win another game. They're currently a game ahead of us. So it's going to be difficult to catch them unless we find a way to go win a series. And the way that everybody's playing around us, you begin to think, hey, you know, I just don't have a lot of confidence in this group. Of course, Ole Miss, we've talked about they had an easier May than us. They haven't taken advantage of it. Absolutely have not. I mean, you lose that series. I mean, guys, Ole Miss pitching, and granted, to be fair, it's like playing in, you know, Coors Field with a trampoline. A lot of runs scored in these ball games. I mean, Missouri and Ole Miss first game was 20 runs scored, 16 in a second, and 34 runs. I mean, nobody's ERA makes that deal, right? Uh, so Ole Miss, no midweek game this week. They will be hosting Auburn this weekend. Red Hot Auburn suddenly has caught fire on the road, and then they close out at Alabama. And so all of a sudden that May schedule – you look up now and say, you know what, Auburn has won at South Carolina, won at LSU. You would expect them to be able to go win against Ole Miss. And you say, you know, Ole Miss going to Alabama. You know, we'll see how things look in a week, but uh, after the way they pitched this weekend, you got to think, you know, now if you're Ole Miss, you're kind of catching these teams at the wrong time. But you got to feel like Ole Miss can probably win a game or two. And so we got to go out there and win a couple games to avoid finishing dead last by ourselves in this conference. And that's the big question everybody always says after every game, Steve, do you think he's okay? I said, guys, I didn't expect, I don't expect a coaching change. We lose the ball. What about now? What about now? It's like a bunch of kids, you know. And here's the thing. It's okay for you to have an opinion independent of mine. I may be wrong, but I know the people that I spoke to as late as Saturday said, we're not planning to make a coaching change as of Saturday. Now, if this thing just completely bottoms out, and, and you say, how much worse can it get? Oh, it could get worse. Let's say we go winless the rest of the way. I don't, you know, I think, think you're having choice. You know, we're going to love baseball forever, but the reality of it is, is, you know, there's a lot of people out there that uh, give a lot of money to Mississippi State baseball that uh, may have a bigger voice than the rest of us. But I can tell you there's some people in the donorship that are like, you know what, hey, let's just be patient. You know, it's not – those people that have money are usually not people that are reactionaries, right? They're not people that get caught up in the moment. 
But the reality of it is it's been back-to-back years and things have not been good. And, again, again, you can excuse away some of last year due to injuries. This year, not so much. And I think that's the real concern, right? I think we've had some bad evaluations and we've had some guys regress. And it'd be one thing if you looked up this weekend and, you know, we had lost these games, you know, seven to five. A couple of them were competitive. But, you know, you give up double-digit runs in two ball games. It's kind of hard to point the finger at Fox. We talked about pitch selection. You know, I kept telling everybody that wasn't the issue. Some people made it out to be. Um, you know, so here we are. You know, it'd be one thing, like, if we had, you know, all of a sudden you fire Fox and all of a sudden the pitching staff catches fire and you had won that series against Arkansas, or at least, you know, every one of those games was ultra competitive. And so it, you can't just scapegoat Fox here when, you know, when he's out of the way and then you're still having some of the same issues. And listen, love Chris Simonis to death. Very appreciative of everything he's done for Mississippi State baseball. But as much as I like these guys and much as I love our players, I love Mississippi State more. And so the reality of it is, is I'm going to do, in my mind, what I think is best for Mississippi State. Now, I'm just some guy on a podcast and guy that owns a website and, you know, a guy that covers baseball extensively. Uh, But nobody's going to call me in office and say, hey, Steve, what do you think we should do? I get some of that, you know, from some of you guys and even some of our donors to say, hey, you know, Steve, you're a little bit closer to it than we are. What do you think? You know, not that we're all voting or conducting some opinion poll, but the reality of it is is that you know, my hope is, you know, I think the best case scenario is for Chris to turn this thing around. The question becomes, though, is can he? Can he turn it around? That's the big question. And I, I, I can't offer an answer to that because I don't know. And neither do you. None of us know for sure. I just know this, is we are never comfortable losing in baseball. And you want to see us get really motivated, this is what does it. This is what really fires people up. It's like, okay, if we go 6-6, six and 7-5 six, in football, we're like, okay, all right, I get it. Back-to-back years, you know, going to the Liberty Bowl and the Music City Bowl, we always say, well, there was a time we didn't even get to do that, right? But in baseball, it's like, hey, you know, we're, we're typically you know, competing to, to host a regional and perhaps a super regional, and we thought we had graduated beyond the point that we're having to sweat out Hoover, right? I mean, that's how I feel. I know you guys, you know, feel the same way, but I, I can tell you, man, it's like I'm sad baseball season is over, is ending, and not because I'm just, oh, I'm just ready for it to be over. I'm sad because I had, I had higher expectations of this team. I did. And uh, it's one of those things, too, we always talk about what went wrong and what about this. You know, we don't need to perform an autopsy, right? We either need to make a decision, okay, this is – okay, we're going to stick with Chris and we're going to give him every chance to succeed and we're going to ramp up an IL fundraising. We're going to put ourselves in a position where we can recruit hard in the portal and turn this thing around immediately. We've got a great recruiting class coming in on top of what we had in the last class. So I think, you know, reinforcements are on the way. I think, you know, what Chris Simonis needs to do down the stretch – is we got to show some signs of life. You, know, you got to go out there and you got to give Zach Selman something to sell. Like, let's, you know, if we're wishing here, let's say you go down there and you play three competitive games against LSU. Maybe you get one. And, you know, goodness, if you get two, if you get two, I think everybody's like, well, oh, okay, all right, all right. Let's say, you, you know, you get one, maybe you get two next weekend against A&M. You split the last six and you get three. You look up and say, you know what, hey, it wasn't the season we wanted it to be. But maybe we've addressed the most glaring issue, and that was our pitching situation. 
And uh, these guys gutted it out down the stretch. And if we go out there and we get swept, it, it, we get absolutely embarrassed at LSU, which is entirely possible, and then we lose to get swept by a and I mean, I, I can't give you any code of conduct. Because you can't, you can't say, hey, this guy was the problem, and then get rid of that guy and then continue to go down the same path you're on. You've got to show some signs of recovery. And so, again, as of Saturday, I was told we're not planning to make a coaching change. But I don't, to be honest with you, I don't think a decision has been totally made yet. I think maybe you're leaning towards, okay, listen, we're leaning towards Chris coming back, and maybe there's an element of that that is financial, right? Uh, I think the rest of that story, too, is, is you have to consider, you know, what gets us better quicker. All right, if Lamonis and the entire staff leaves, what does that do to your roster? What does it do to your recruiting class? Do people opt out? And you know what? No recruiting class, no matter how good it is, is worth holding the program hostage for. But those are the things you've got to you know, debate. And I can tell you, everybody always claims, well, they know somebody. Well, I know somebody's a big donor. I know some really big donors. And they know me. And I got them on my phone. And from time to time, we talk. I'm talking people that give six or seven figures. I'm not talking about, you know, your buddy that, you know, buys tickets to a friend and you sit, you know, in, in the Skydog section. All due respect, I was a Skydog one time too. But I can tell you there are a lot of people up there to give a lot of money to Mississippi State that maybe are not so wound up as maybe the average fan is. It's not that they don't care. It's just they're not reacting emotionally. And uh, I read a post earlier and I got, kind of got upset about this and I was like, hey, how does this help? Somebody's like, well, I'm just going to pull my financial contributions until things change. Well, how does that help Mississippi State? I mean, that, that's not going to bring change any quicker than you think. It's just not. You can say, well, you know, people vote with their checkbooks. You know, if you want to quit getting your chair backs, there's about 4,000 people behind you on the waiting list. It's like, I'm, okay, I'll take them. I'll take them. I'll go out there and cheer next year. You can, uh, you can take, you know, Joey Q customer off the list, I'm happy to take his four because I love Mississippi State baseball and then we're going to come back. So you're not really helping matters. You know, I think what you do is you let your voice be known. At the end of the day, it's going to be Zach Selman's decision. And I, and I love these people, too, that have never met Zach, never met Dr. Keenum. They're going to sit there and say, well, it's not going to be Selman's decision. You think we just hired an AD just to be a figurehead? Absolutely not. Just not the case. So we'll see what happens. But uh, the reality of it is we're not in a good place. We're not in a good place. We can all agree on that. We may not agree how to get out of this place, but we can all agree we're not in a good place. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by our friends at Portico. If you're thinking of moving to town, look no further than Portico. I've told you guys, listen, if I was moving to Starkville now, it's where I'd move. I'm out here in the sticks. I like it out here. But I'd love to be closer to campus because some days I'm out here and I, I, I don't even think about eating. It's like I, if there's, I'll find a burrito or a chicken pot pie or something. Just the, the thought of having to drive into town sometimes is just – it's too much. It's a first-world problem deal. It really is. But to be 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus, how convenient would that be? Conveniently located by the Walmart neighborhood market right there. So if you forget something on the way home, just swing in there and get it. That's nice. That's a nice amenity, Right. You turn off 12, excuse me, turn off 82 on a 12 leg going to campus. Very first right is Pat Station Road. Very easy to find. You get to that four way stop and there's Portico on the right. Wonderful residential development brought to you by a great group of, uh, of Bulldogs. Brooks Bryan's a part of that group, 601 
416-8075. It's Brooks' number again at 601-416-8075. Reach out to Brooks to get more information. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home. Go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. And anything in between, you need a custom build, they can get you taken care of. You know, maybe you want the theater, right? Maybe you want a bigger office. Maybe you need a big nursery. Maybe you want a playroom. Talk to them. Don't just go with the cookie cutter deal, right? And many of you, this is your retirement home. Maybe it's your primary residence. Maybe it's a second home. Maybe you've always wanted to have that place in Starkville, a place to store all your uh, tailgating gear instead of having to carry all that stuff, right? Live up here and be a Stark villain with the rest of us. Portico, make it your next move. All right. So, again, met with Zach Selman today. I had a variety of things to talk about. We spent a lot of time talking about me. He wondered my history and kind of how I became a bulldog and things like that. We talked about that. And uh, he is a very good listener. You know, a lot of people just kind of sit there waiting for you to stop talking so they can respond. They listen to respond rather than to understand. You've seen that out there. Zach's not that dude. You can really get the sense that he takes a lot of interest in you. He is concerned about you. And I can see why he would have interviewed really well. He doesn't speak emotionally, but he speaks with passion. You know, he doesn't just kind of react and, you know, and I'm, I'm a guy sometimes that speaks emotionally. I do. But I admire people that are very collected in their thoughts. And you kind of get that appearance and that vibe from Zach. I think he is a guy that he is going to be careful what he says. I don't think where he's searching for what you want to hear, though. Right. I think he's very deliberate in his thinking. Uh, I thought he answered my questions. He did wasn't as direct as I'd like for him to be on a couple things. But I think a lot of that, too, is just because. He's still deciding some things. One of the things that I know you all are concerned about is NIL. And I asked him, I said, hey, listen, you know, we got seat licenses to pay. We got season ticket prices to pay. We got Bulldog Club donations to pay. And now on top of it, we're asking everybody for NIL money. Where does it stop? You know, we're bleeding our fans dry. And it's not just Mississippi State, right? It's around the country. College athletics has never been more expensive for the diehard fan that's willing to support the program financially, right? And so we talked about that. He talked about, hey, you know, we got the first thing we got to do is get everybody on the same page. And that is one of the things that I have said from the beginning of all of this. We've got to get everybody involved, pulling in the same direction. We can't have Bulldog Club staffers. I'm not saying they are. Okay, so don't nobody email me. We can't have them pulling in one direction and like pulling away from NIL. And we can't have NIL people saying, oh, don't give the Bulldog Club, right? There's got to be a balance. We've got to find a way to find a system that works well for everybody. And I don't think our fans should have to pick and choose. We've got to find a way legally to incentivize people to give to our NIL efforts, but at the same time, too, not force them to pick and choose between the Bulldog Club. And, and there's some people that say, you know what, Steve, it's got so expensive to go to a football game, I just can't afford to do it anymore. And that's the reality for a lot of people. And one of the things that I asked Zach about, too, is, uh, you know, we talk about Duty Noble Field all the time. I was like, you know, Zach, we, we built this cathedral of a stadium that we're all so proud of, and we're the envy of college baseball, and then we don't have anywhere for, you know, the, the average fan. You know, maybe mom and dad wants to bring their kids to a ball game, and there's nowhere for them to sit. That's a problem. 
And that was one of the things he said. He goes, I'm the kind of guy I believe we need to have something for everybody, whether you have all the money in the world or you live on federal assistance, right? Whether you're retired or whether you're a CEO, we need to have something for everybody. And that's how I feel too. And so he said he's enjoyed kind of seeing Duty Noble Field kind of come to life and see the operations kind of behind the scenes. He goes, you know, I'm always present when I'm not, even when I'm not visible, kind of working behind the scenes to see how event management does things and how we can do things better. He, he said just kind of taking some time to see what we do and how we do it and how we can improve it. But he goes, moving forward, and we, listen, we don't have a time frame for that. We don't. That's not an immediate concern. I mean, it is, it is for the person that wants to come. We got bigger fish to fry right now you know, than going out there making renovations to a major stadium that we just spent you know, a fortune on. But the reality of it is, is moving forward as part of our plans to change the experience at Duty Noble Field, there is going to be something in, in line for general admission. That's the impression that I get, and that's something that we've, I've talked to Jared Banco about in years past and John Cohen in years past, but I think Zach fully understands that. You know, for those of uh, those that are lucky enough to have chairbacks, those who are lucky enough to have a space out there, you know, it's been an incredible experience for you, and you don't want to give that up, and I don't blame you. Say, we're going to do what we have to do. I've waited so many years to get my spot. I'm keeping my spot. And then I may find a way to bequeath it to somebody else in my family because it's such a wonderful time. We've had so many great memories here. But, you know, the hope is at some point you turn those single, tic single ticket holder people into season ticket holder people. And right now, why would you go buy season tickets to go to Mississippi State if there's not a place for you to sit? And there's not. And we've got to find a way to, to do, handle it better. And uh, I, I, we don't do this anymore, and we should. And I don't know why we don't do it anymore. But I remember years ago, um, you know, once we got through like the fourth inning, you know, we would invite people to come sit in the grandstand. It's like, hey, and, and if your season ticket holder shows up, just move, right? But it's not like that now. And it's like my thing about that is, is if you take, let's say, Brooks Bryan has a nephew that is like, hey, I want to come to the ball game, and I don't have a chair back. Well, if he comes to a midweek game and maybe he has a standing room only ticket, but we open up the grandstand and say, hey, you know, you guys come sit with us. Now, all of a sudden, you start thinking, this is living. This is what I want to do. And you got to go get on a wait list to do it. And, and you know, you, you may be dead before you get your tickets. But the reality of it is, is you got to give people, make them know what they're missing to turn them into season ticket holders. But you also have to give them somewhere to sit. You also have to have general admission seating. You've got to figure that stuff out. That is a real challenge. And people say, well, Steve, it's not that often. It's more often than you think. Because if you're that family that's showing up and maybe you don't really know anybody, it's like, I love Mississippi State. I want to bring my kids to watch a baseball game. You're going to wander around out there and you got nowhere to sit. It's not like somebody's going to call you over and say, hey, you guys come sit with us. They don't know you. The university's got to do a better job on that. Now, I also asked about amenities at Davis Wade Stadium. Now, as much as we love Davis Wade, and we do, and it's come a long way in my lifetime. It truly has. I'm from the 1900s. I remember when, uh, you know, we, we basically looked like a, a you know, big high school in many respects. And there was probably some modern-day high school stadiums that looked better than what we had back then. 
But, you know, we've got the uh, second oldest stadium in the country, and that's something we're proud of. But it's kind of limited us in some respects. And um, when I asked about, you know, what about the LED lights? What about, you know, repositioning the sound system? You know, what are we doing, you know? And uh, I said, you hadn't been here for football, so you, you, don't, you don't even have a chance to kind of see all this stuff works. And, you know, we talked at length about things that we need to do to improve the fan experience. And I think he's very receptive to that. You know, there are a lot of people out there, and this again, not to talk poorly about anybody that's been here before, and that's what—that's kind of the implication. But I'm just giving you a disclaimer here. Sometimes Mississippi State is kind of given off the vibe. It's like, well, that's just tough. This is what we've done. I just don't think Zach sees it that way. It kind of reminds me of Greg Byrne in that respect. I think Greg Greg made the hundred dollar donor feel just as important as the hundred thousand dollar donor. Greg had time for everybody. I get the same vibe from Zach. I don't think Zach is just saying, hey, we got to make sure we take care of all these suites. You know, he's worried about that, that family of four maybe that, uh, you know, all you, can, all you can afford right now is to sit maybe on West Side Upper. Maybe that's all you can afford right now. But you know what? If we get you in the habit of coming to ball games and we give you some incentive to maybe eventually increase your Bulldog Club donation and then you keep, you know, you keep improving your seating – and there's some legacy-type uh, rewards for that. I think that, that fan, in my estimation, and based on my conversations with Zach, that fan is important to him too. And in order for us to kind of grow the fan base and in turn grow the season ticket holders, you got to make those people feel important. Because not everybody just showed up one day as the CEO of a big company and says, okay, I'm going to write you guys a big fat check, and I'm going to sit here, and, and you know, people are going to bring me drinks, and, and uh, we're going to have food, and we have a catered meal. You know, everybody starts somewhere. And I can tell you this, the first year that I bought season tickets to Mississippi State football, when I could convince my wife that that's what I wanted to do, right? Hey, this will be my birthday, Christmas, whatever. Because we, we, had, we had small kids. I said, I want to buy season tickets. And I can tell you this, I took such pride in being a season ticket holder. I wasn't just the guy that went to games here once in a while. I was a season ticket holder. And that made me feel like, you know what? Like I'm a voting member of Congress here. And then next thing you know, we start kind of increasing our donations. We give with another group. We get better tickets. And every year, I said, you know what? This is me supporting Mississippi State. I love Mississippi State, but I felt an ownership in the program. I'm not saying that I had a sense of entitlement, but I felt that I was a shareholder, that I was doing my part to help Mississippi State football. And many of you feel that way in other sports. It's like, hey, I'm a season ticket holder for basketball. I know some season ticket holders in basketball that wear that like a badge of honor. As well, you should. One of the first questions that I asked Zach, I said, you know what? I said, there have been uh, some of our fans, everybody's got their, their own favorite sport, and some people prefer men's basketball over everything. And they feel like Mississippi State men's basketball has been underfunded. And what is your response to that? And he tells me that's not going to be the case moving forward. I mean, this is a guy that's worked at North Carolina. He's worked, you know, he was a, a student alum at, at Wake Forest. You know, Oklahoma had some good basketball years. He has an extensive basketball background. So he understands what moves the needle. And one of the things that he said I thought was really, really smart, it's not just about fundraising. It's not just about allocating more resources. It's being smart in what we do. Some, in some places, he says we have to tighten our belts. It's not just about writing the bigger check. Now, does that mean we continue to do what we've always done and expect something different? Absolutely not. You know, obviously, we have let the Humphrey Coliseum kind of fall behind. Of course, the renovations are already underway. And, uh, you know, getting some things done. It's not going to be as good as a new arena. It's not. And you know what? If Maybe if we waited a couple of years, 
Maybe you know, the cost of building materials had gone down. Maybe we could have afforded to do that. Maybe that had been a smart play. But I don't know that if our fan, fan base would have allowed for that, right? If we would not, if we said, hey, we're going to push it back two years, I think there may have been blood in the streets because we've let Humphrey Coliseum get antiquated. We all have, right? I mean, that's just the reality of it. Administration said, you know what? Hey, you guys are doing great, you know? And uh, it's difficult to recruit to that when everybody else in the conference has a better playing arena. It's just, that's just the reality of it. I mean, as great as the opportunity to play at Mississippi State is, you got to think about the fan experience and the player experience. And uh, I think we're going to be proud of what we have, but it's not going to be as grand as what it could have been. So we push forward with that. And that's the thing, too. I'm getting old, man. I'm, I'm, I'm 50, right? I'll be 51 here in, in about uh, seven weeks. You know, the chances of me seeing a new basketball arena erected in my lifetime, probably not very good. Probably not. And that's the thing I think about. It's like, you know, hey, you know, what happened on our watch, right? Um, I remember a time when men's basketball was really – that was the biggest source of pride we had in our athletics department. Remember those Charles Rhodes years and Dee Bost and Shane Power, Timmy Bowers, Derek Zimmerman? Yeah, it was great. It was must-see TV. That's all we talked about. Football was so bad. Baseball was just average at the time. You know, our biggest source of pride was winning the SEC West title in basketball. We don't have divisions anymore. I still think it's stupid to do away with them, but whatever. But the reality of it was is that um, we took a lot of pride, and we, we packed out Humphrey Coliseum, and it was amazing. And even opposing teams would say in their post-game interviews, how incredible the atmosphere was. We have to make the hump roar again. And I think Chris Jan's on his way to do that. And, and uh, Zach brought that up, how important it was, you know, to get, uh, you know, our basketball coaches extended, get that done, get it out there. And uh, he, you can just tell he has a tremendous amount of respect uh, for Chris Jan's and uh, Sam Purcell. You can just, you can tell. And uh, as I was leaving, Coach Simonos was waiting to go in. And uh, not a surprise meeting or anything like that. I put that on a message board, and people are like, oh, what's this mean? Uh, they, he meets with coaches regularly. They sit down and talk regularly, kind of a, you know. And listen, I give him credit for that. You know, there are a lot of people out there, uh, they get so caught up in the donorship part of it, they don't always, they're not always accessible to their coaches until there's a problem. And from what I understand, Zach is setting aside time weekly to meet with his coaches. And to discuss, you know, hey, this is where I am. This is what I need. Here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what you can help me with. Uh, I think that's important to have that dialogue. Relationships are not built in 100 days, no matter what they tell you on Instagram. You don't know anybody in 100 days, and you certainly don't know a job in 100 days. And you don't know a fan base as big as ours in 100 days. So it takes some time. Uh, but I can tell you this, that um, you know, we first started you know, doing our due diligence on Zach Selman. Mike Nemeth and I kind of did the AD hot board and kind of kept up with that. We always felt that he was a little bit of a sleeper candidate. I had some people say, you know what, this guy's really sharp, really, really sharp. And some other people were like, ah, oh, he's not going to get it, and you know, I don't even think he's really pursuing it. And uh, I found out after the fact that uh, when those rumors kind of made the round that maybe he was a bit of a reluctant candidate, that Keenum got on the phone with him and said, hey, listen, you're a real candidate for this job. Don't just think this is, you know, you're just going through the motions here. We're serious about you, and lo and behold, we're going to power him. And so I'm excited to see what he brings. Do I think at some point he's probably going back to Oklahoma? Yeah, yeah, probably so. He didn't, I don't need him to tell me that. He didn't tell me that. I didn't ask him that. I'm not an idiot. At some point, we all, mama calls, we go home, right? Even though he didn't play at Oklahoma, he grew up an Oklahoma guy. He did. 
And uh, we just got to make sure that we maximize the time that we have with him. And so I do think things are going to be a little bit different. You know, I do think that they are uh, a little more, um, you know, I guess the way I, you know, John, in many respects, I would say John was a coaching approach, right? You know, John, this is your job. I expect you to do it. I'm going to follow up with you to make sure it's done, right? Uh, I, I think there's going to be a little more structure, and I don't mean that to say that we were disorganized, but I think there's going to be a little different deal. I think there's going to be maybe some micromanaging in some respects, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I think there's going to be a lot more levels and policy and things of that nature, and this is the way we do things. Um, I hate to use this term, but I guess kind of professionalizing the department a little bit. That's not to say that it wasn't professional under John. I think John was a guy, too, that held people accountable. But I think, you know, maybe John didn't have, uh, you know, weekly progress reports and things of that nature. I think, I think John was like, hey, if things are going good, kind of like riding a hot hand, you know, if you've got a guy that's in the groove, you don't want to mess with it, right? Just check in, hey, just keep doing what you're doing, man. I think there's going to be a little more – and I hate to say the word hierarchy, I guess you could say. I, I just think that it's going to be a situation where you're going to have some different people involved in different positions. And you might actually see the staff grow in some respects. So I'm eager to see how that evolves. There's a lot of spots they got to fill in this department, uh, for sure. But I can tell you that um, I won't ever say I had a lack of confidence in Zach because I, I hadn't had a chance to really sit down with him but after sitting across from him, and it was very, very, you know, conversational. It wasn't like, okay, he's sitting across his desk. He was very open. We sat down in a little receiving area there, and I was in a chair. He was in a chair. It was a little, uh, you know, occasional table between us there. He had his cup of coffee there, and I laid my phone down on it. We just talked like friends. And uh, I can tell you, he's very approachable. And I think when you guys have a chance to interact with him, I think you're going to be happy with who you have. I really do. And, I'm, again, I'm eager to see it. And, of course, a lot of people are kind of beating him up because, like, they don't think they're going to get what they want from Mississippi State baseball. And a lot of people are pushing for a coaching change. You're like, hey, if Selma doesn't fire him, then I'm off the you – know, that's not fair. That's not fair. That's not fair to Zach. It's not. You can say, well, I don't get what I want, so I'm done with you. Yeah, I'm glad I'm not married to you, Right. You know, give the guy a chance to make his own assessment. One thing that I will tell you, and it's important, and we'll part with this. We're not meeting the standards of Mississippi State baseball. And he reiterated that multiple times. He goes, we're not even close to the standards that this program expects. So we'll see what happens here in the next two weeks. Let's see if we can't begin to take some steps back towards meeting those standards. All right, that's going to do it for today. Until next time. Let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.